Um, and so if you'd stand with me, uh, we're going to read out of 1 John chapter 5. We've been in this series called Anchored, or Light and Love, Anchored Together in Christ, where we're talking about the assurance of Christ. Um, and so this is going to be 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Uh, if you have a Bible in front of you from the seatbacks, it's going to be page 1023. Uh, and also, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take that Bible, uh, take it home, apply it, learn it, read it, love it. Um, so before I read this, I just want to remind you that anytime the Word of God is read, it is a valuable and precious thing. It is an event. When the very words of God himself are read, they impact us, they change us, they sanctify us and mold us, they give us new life and revive our souls every time we hear them. So trust in that unfailing word as we read from 1 John 5, 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone is doing well. Uh, welcome to Providence. Very thankful you're here. Made us a part of your week. Uh, my name is Eric, if you don't know me. Uh, I serve as Director of Missions and Outreach, and very excited to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to do a few things before we hop into the Word today. Uh, today is uh, Orphan Sunday, uh, and so uh, this basically happens every year around November, and we're celebrating, uh, both celebrating and mourning uh, adoption and orphan care, right? There's a we know there's a crisis around the world of kids that need families, but we like to take this moment to celebrate what God's doing in our midst for that end, and also to be encouraged that the work is not done, uh, and there's a lot more work to do in regards to that, right? Jesus defined, uh, really in the book of James, uh, he defined um, religion, pure religion, as uh, taking care of widows and orphans. And so we take that seriously here. We have a whole ministry uh, for that. And so I just wanted to bring uh, just some stats uh, for you guys to kind of give some awareness of what's going on in the world right now in regards to uh, adoption, orphans, etc. And then I just want to give you a few handles of ways you can get involved um, with what we're doing here. So uh, just a few things, it's particularly with the, the, the U.S. kind of puts out these statistics uh, every few years or so, and, and here's some that we have currently. Uh, so the number of children in foster care is about 440,000 uh, in the foster care system currently in the U.S. Uh, the average age is about six and a half years old, so it's not just babies, it's not just troubled teens, but kind of everywhere uh, in between, kids that need homes. Uh, in the U.S., uh, the number of kids that are adopted each year is roughly 63,100, which is a lot, and praise God for that. Uh, the number of kids that are currently waiting to be adopted are 125,000, so there's still a long way to go. Um, and then about 30,000 each year uh, are the number of youth that will actually be forced out due to their age uh, without actually, ever actually getting into a home uh, and, and finding a place to call home. Um, and so... Uh, and then in, in Texas, those numbers are still pretty big. There's uh, roughly about uh, 30,000 children in the foster care system, uh, and there's roughly uh, about 3,500 that are waiting uh, to be adopted as well. Uh, and so I say all that to say 
that if you even zoomed out and went to the global right need for uh, adoption and foster care and finding homes for kids, it's, it's crazy, right? But God, we know God's heart, right? God adopted us, and, and it's that, that vision of the gospel that motivates us uh, to want to do the same for children uh, who need to know Christ, right? Who need a family that loves them. So not everyone is called to, to foster and or adopt, right? But I, I do believe everyone's called to, to play a part in taking care of those uh, who need it, amen? Uh, and so there, there's a, a bunch of things we do with our orphan care ministry. We do a foster and adoption support group for those currently kind of uh, doing it. Uh, we have um, just, we partner with the local boys home and, and we're doing a bunch of stuff with them. Uh, that we're trying to get you some more information and have a calendar so you guys can be a part of some of those events that we do with them. Uh, and then also we've got like a spring fundraiser coming up. It's going to be a, a golf tournament for more information. Uh, you can go out to the Go Now booth after this, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, and then there's other things. We just raised 9000 at our orphan care banquet last month, which was awesome, right? So uh, super big win there for what we're doing. So we just want to highlight this and say, look, there's a lot of opportunity to get involved. But this morning, I would like to just take time and I would like to pray for those who are currently, we have about eight families uh, that are part of our church right now that are currently uh, in the middle of uh, fostering, adopting somewhere along the journey, and then plenty more that are praying and considering uh, to do so. And so if you do want more information, please go out. There'll be some orphan care team members at the Connect booth that would love to just get some more information into your hands, uh, show you how there is uh, far more ways to help out than, than just actually adopting. But there's, there's tons of things you could do that are super beneficial and helpful uh, in this aim. And so I would like to pray for that. One more thing, I'm sorry for all the announcements up front. Uh, it's our Boxes of Love uh, Thanksgiving outreach is coming up in a few weeks. And so this uh, Saturday, we're gonna be doing like an orientation. If you want to come to that, I'm just gonna, there's gonna be a few churches gathered here and we're just gonna be explaining uh, kind of the process of what we do. Um, but basically what we're doing is we're taking, uh, so people have signed up, they know we're coming. We're taking a Thanksgiving meal for someone that couldn't get one. And uh, we're asking basically two simple questions. And that is, um, how can we pray for you? And how else can we serve you? That's all we're doing. And you'd be amazed. People invite you uh, into their home. They're just dealing with stuff and they're willing to talk about it and let you pray with them. And so it's a great opportunity for people right in our, our back door here in Atascacita uh, to reach out to them. So if you're curious or want more information about that as well, uh, please come see me after gathering at the Go Now booth. We'd love to get you that info. So um, just out of curiosity, is there anyone, like, any families that are currently in the process of fostering or adopting in the room? If you could raise your hand just for us to see. Um, amen. That's awesome. We'd love just to pray uh, this morning as we get into the word and, and pray for that. So if you guys wouldn't mind bowing your heads with me, let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you for adopting us. Thank you for loving us when we were not lovely. Thank you for pursuing us even though we are rebellious and, and we're at least at one point haters of you. We're so grateful for the gospel and God, it's that that motivates us. And so this morning, we lift up all those who are in the process of fostering or adopting, and we just pray for strength for them, strengthen the gospel, strengthen your love, strengthen everything that may be going on, all the struggles that may be there. God, would you be gracious to grant them relief from those struggles? Would you give them mercy to get a fresh wind of energy and joy in what they're doing? And God, would you help us as a church to, to get around them and support them and help them? And God, as a church, generally we pray that, that we, those small, could make a huge dent on this uh, issue in the world. 
God, we know your heart is there and where your heart is, God, we want to be doing the work. And so would you help us um, to have strength, to have resourcing and everything we need to continue this work. And God, this morning we pray as we get into your word, would the gospel be on our minds? Would you help us to apply your word in a way that's real, (laughs) that's tangible, that's life-giving? God, by the power of your spirit, would you grant us life in you today through your word that we'd be changed and that we could see you for who you are. That's our prayer, our desire, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, So, uh, like Brendan said, we've been in a series through 1 John. We are on the back end of it now, last chapter, finishing up the book here in chapter 5. We have a few more weeks, and um, you can see the anchor behind me. So our, our theme has been talking about, and I think what John is talking about in the book of 1 John, which is uh, we can have assurance that we are in Christ forever. We can have this anchor, if you will. And you know what an anchor does, right? It keeps the boat from going too far. It anchors it to the bottom of the sea. And we believe that uh, by God's grace, he's given us a means into which we could have assurance that we are his that we don't have to go to bed tonight wondering if he's going to love us tomorrow, right? But knowing that we are in him. And I think this is an important topic, and I'm excited to get into this. Um, but each theme has been anchored in something, or there's something, there's these things that anchor us into Christ. And, and today's theme is obedience. So we're anchored in obedience, and obedience is a, can be a, a, a tough uh, topic, but I think it's a good one. Okay, I think it's a good one. I think it's one of the true characteristics um, about our lives that should give us assurance. Now, uh, Daniel Aiken called it this. He's talking about John. He's trying to remind us of like, what has John been talking about this whole time? And he gives three main characteristics. He calls them birthmarks of the children of God is what Daniel Aiken says. And it's a really cool terminology there. But what are the three birthmarks of the child of God? And, and these are the three general things he says. It's what we believe, whom we love, and how we behave. So what we believe, whom we love, how we behave, or to word it in another way, right belief, right love, and right behavior should be signs that anchor us into the truth that we are in Christ. And so we're going to mention kind of all of those today, but in the form of obedience. Now, when you think of obedience, uh, it's easy to go somewhere negative, right? Like the last thing we want to be is, to, we, we don't want to be told, right, that we need to obey something or someone. It's just not like our, our firstborn nature that we like, yes, I just love submitting to obedience always, right? I mean, you can see this in kids. But we know that obedience definitely is, is a good thing, right? And, and like, just think about your children, right? Like we, we honestly, maybe sometimes out of bad desires, right? Because we're power hungry or something, you know? Or we're just angry and that's why we want our kids to obey. But by and large, we have good intentions and that's why we want children to obey us, right? It's, uh, here's a few things would be, um, one is that we want them to respect us and love us, right? And that's a good thing in obedience. We want them to respect our authority, to know that we are smarter, and to trust that we, we know what's, what's best for them. And so that's a good thing. Uh, another reason we might want kids to obey is that um, their safety, right? Not only their safety in this life, so they don't die on us, but uh, also uh, for the life to come, right? Safety for eternity. And so we, as parents, know what's best, and so we, we, we long for them to obey, not just because... Uh, we want to feel good about ourselves, but because we know what's best for them, at least to some degree, and we want to see that, uh, you know, to that end. 
So obedience is a good thing. So as we talk about obedience today, let's keep that in mind. Um, there's really just three main things I want to point out about obedience in this text. And we're going to start in verse 1 and 2, if you want to read that with me here. It says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So there's a lot of wording in here. But my first point is that obedience is evidence that we are children of God. Okay, obedience is evidence that we are children of God. And so... uh, Evidence is a key word because it's evidence, not earning. I want you to keep that in mind. Obedience is evidence, it's not earning. So it's not that uh, on the basis of our obedience and how good we are at obeying, we can then be confident on that, the fact that we are children of God. But rather, because we are already children of God, what flows from that is obedience. And therefore, that is evidence that there's been a true change in us a new birth, if you will, as the Bible says, that we are children of God, okay? So it's evidence, it's not, not earning. Um, but how is it evidence? That's a good question to ask. How is it evidence? Obviously, we know probably none of us can be perfect, right? So how is it evidence? Well, we know it's not evidence because it's perfect, okay? There is no perfect obedience. I want to read Romans 7, uh, starting in verse 21. Paul says this, he says, So I find it to be law, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now some pretty quirky bad theologians would say this was Paul before his conversion. Uh, It makes no sense because he's writing the whole letter of Romans about the gospel. But either way, I would say this is definitely Paul, believer, writing to the church at Rome and saying, in my inner being, with all of my heart, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to obey him. I want to walk in his commands. But I find that every time I desire that, there is another law in my heart that is waging war against my soul to want sin. Paul acknowledges this inner battle always within himself, that he desires to obey, but he finds himself often not obeying, right? He finds himself doing the very things he doesn't want to do. And so there will never be a perfect obedience. People teach that. There's, there's a lot of pastors that will tell you that, right? That you could be perfectly sinless if you just have faith. But it doesn't work that way, right? We, we are imperfect. It's like as a Christian, I feel like, at least I assume this, right? I'm becoming a Christian. I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger, And then what you find is, right, sometimes you just get weaker and weaker and weaker and you realize more and more and more that you are desperately, desperately lost without Christ, right? We need him. We can't obey by ourselves. So it's not evidence because it's perfect. It is, however, evidence because of a few things. First thing is that it confirms our love for the children of God. Now, we've been talking about this theme uh, that basically if, if you love God, you will love his people. If you love the Father, you'll love his children. You don't come into the family and just hate all the brothers and sisters. It doesn't work that way. Um, and so just kind of on this point, if you look at the 1 John chapter 4, verse 21, he says this. So this whole text of verses 1 through 5 comes off the heels of this verse in verse 21. It says this. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And then he continues on. 
And so the commandment that all of this is kind of focused on, what's on John's mind is that if you love God, you will love his children. If you love God, you'll love his children. But if you notice, he kind of words this in a little bit of a weird way that you probably either didn't expect or didn't even notice. But he says, how do we know that we love God's children by if, if we love him and obey his commands? Now, I would expect that to say, uh, how do we know we love God because we love his children and obey his commands? That's how I would expect it, but he words it in a different way, and I think he does that for two main reasons. This is just conjecture here, but I think the first reason is that he's trying to keep us free from like weird or like super sentimental uh, definitions of love, okay? And what I mean by that is like anyone in the world, for the most part, would agree that, hey, we should probably love people, right? I mean, uh, no one's, I mean, there might be some people out there, okay? But most people aren't going to say, no, loving is bad. We shouldn't do that. We should definitely be hateful, right? Everyone's going to say, yes, we should love, right? But the problem is those definitions of love can be very different. And so John's trying to help us here by saying, listen, true love for people is submitted under a love for God and obeying his commands. And that's safe for us because it's super easy because in the name of loving someone, we could disobey God's commands in order to love someone, right? Because either A, we don't want to hurt their feelings, or B, because our definition of love is weird, and, and so on, right? But no matter what happens to truly love someone, we obey God's commands. And what I mean by that is our aim in loving people is not simply that they would feel good about themselves. That's not our end goal. This is why like self-help only works for so long. By just pretending that you're amazing and you're a snowflake, because eventually that fails. But true love for people is based in, I desire you to know Jesus. I desire above all the things that you would know Christ, that you would treasure Christ, that you'd be forgiven of your sin, and that you would find him to be the most precious thing you've ever had. That's where true love is based in. And John is trying to anchor us a little bit. He's trying to help us to say, listen, how do you know you're truly loving the children of God? Because you love God, you desire God, and you obey his, his commands. I think the other thing he's doing is he's just showing us what he's been showing us this whole time in First John, which is the natural outflow of your love for God, your true conversion, being born of God, being a child of God, is going to be obedience. And yes, that's in the form of loving others, and that's in the form of obeying the rest of his commands. And so it's just a logical conclusion that obedience is evidence that something has changed. True obedience to God's laws is evidence that there's something good going on here, um, and we can take comfort in that. So, uh, so it confirms our love for the children of God. It's also evidence because it confirms our love for God, and we just talked about that, right? We just talked about that, but verse three says it clearly, just in case there was any confusion. Uh, it says this in the first part. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And so what is true love of God? It's, it's, it's obedience to him. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means because I think there's some nuanced things in this text that are so good. But simply put, obedience to our Father shows that we've been born of the Father. We trust him. We love him. Okay, that's, that's what obedience does. So obedience is evidence that we're children of God. Then he goes on in verse 3. Let's read verse 3 one more time because he says something at the back end that's super important for us. He says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Next thing is uh, obedience is not burdensome. True, genuine obedience is not a burden. Um, Obedience is is from the heart. It's not just a practical thing, right? Um, Technically, you could define obedience as just doing what you're told, right? Uh, but there's a big difference, right, between doing what you're told 
and really wanting to do what you're told, right? There's a big difference there. Obedience from the heart because, you know, you trust and love the person giving the command is a lot different than just obedience in a practical way. And so a lot of times you kind of have the question like, well, okay, what does that look like? I'm not perfect, so therefore I'm not obeying all the time. So how do I know I'm in Christ? And Thomas Watson gives a definition of this I think is really good. He says this. He says, a child of God, though he cannot serve the Lord perfectly, yet he serves him willingly. His will is in the law of the Lord. He is not a pressed soldier, but a volunteer. By the beating of this pulse, we may judge whether there be spiritual life in us or no. Uh, I think that's such a good definition. The pulse of the Christian vitality, that you are alive in Christ, is not perfect obedience. It's a willing obedience. It's a joyful obedience. That's what it means that it's not burdensome. So we should ask a few questions. First question is, what is true freedom? That's a big deal, right? We're, Amer- we're, we're land of the free, okay? What is true freedom? Uh, if your definition of true freedom is, I want to be able to do what I want, when I want, that's a really bad definition of freedom. But that is our cultural definition, right? You can't tell someone they're wrong or all of a sudden you're evil, right? Because you told them that they can do what they want, when they want, therefore you're bad. But we obviously know that that... that falls short every time, right? Because now you can't just murder somebody because that's wrong. Well, how is that wrong? Because it's not right for them and it gets really confusing, right? Uh, The argument breaks down within itself. But the point is that um, you were designed by a very specific God for very specific purposes. And when you try to escape what you were designed for, you then escape your freedom. Does that make sense? Like if I create something, it's for a purpose. And if it's not fulfilling that purpose, it's not doing what it was supposed to do and therefore not free. Right? Like if I use a lawnmower to wash my carpet, like that doesn't work, right? There's not freedom there. It's for the lawn. And in the same way, you were designed by a loving God to worship Him, to glory in Him, to have Him forever, to treasure Him. And when you bounce outside of that for the sake of freedom, you now become a slave. Right? But in Christ, we're, we're not slaves to the world. We're slaves to Christ. And we'll get to that in a second. But so you gotta, you got to understand true freedom is doing what you were designed to do. It's not doing whatever you want, when you want. It's about aligning your desires so that you want to do what you're supposed to do. And that is true freedom. So another question is, why might his commandments be burdensome to us? Then we should ask that, right? So they're not supposed to be a burden, but why might Christ's commandments to you, the things he's called you to do, why might obedience be a burden? I've got a few things I just want to mention. The first thing is that we don't trust the giver of the commands, right? Commands are a burden if you don't trust the person giving them, okay? Just remember when you were younger, okay? Probably around 13, 14 is like the prime age for this, right? But, you know, your parents tell you to do something and you are convinced it's not a good thing, right? You don't trust your, your parents to know best because you know best, right? That's when obedience becomes a burden. When you don't trust the person giving the command, um, it's hard to obey with delight. Another thing might be um, that really just the things we're commanded to do are just contrary to our desires, right? They're just against what we want to do, right? So if you're commanded to do something you don't want to do, simply put, it's not fun to do it, right? Like when you're, when you're given something to do and it's just, just not what you're wanting, it's frustrating. We, uh, in a, a very adult way, act like two-year-olds when this happens, right? It's like if we could express ourselves like a two-year-old when they don't get their way, we would, but we can't, so we 
adult it, right? And then we we act in different ways that are still really selfish and weird. But the point is, if you don't want to do something, it's against your desires. You won't want to do it. A third thing might be that, honestly, just uh, what we're being called to do doesn't bring us joy, right? So if you're not happy doing it, you just don't want to do it. Maybe you can't see why you should even be doing this. I, um, you guys might not know this about me, okay? But back in my prime, I was a pole vaulter, okay? I know you're probably thinking, the guy's way too skinny and short to pole vault. I know, okay? But I did it at one point. If you don't know what pole vaulting is, you should YouTube it later. It's pretty awesome. It's the best track and field uh, event out there. You basically take a pole that's twice as long as you. You run as fast as you can, and then you stick it into the ground, and then it, like, catapults you into the heavens over a bar, and then you land on a mat. It's perfect, okay? It's the greatest sport of all time. Now... When I got into high school, so my freshman year, I was about the size of a sixth grader, okay? This is no joke. I got a picture of me with a basketball. I'm like holding it up here, and it's like the whole basketball right there, okay? Sorry about that. Um, So I was short, and so I got into pole vaulting, and I was like, man, I'm going to be really bad at this sport, but I really want to do it. Just to give you a context, okay, my first pole, they have like different names on them or whatever. Mine was the Lady Rocket, okay? It was this purple pole because I didn't weigh enough to actually pole vault on a normal dude-sized pole for that age. I had to use the Lady Rocket, okay, and I used that for like two years, okay, until I hit a growth spurt, so that was my life, okay, but I remember in pole vaulting, you know, we'd start track in like January, February, and in West Virginia, it's still snowing then, okay, so we'd be outside with like a PVC pipe this long just doing these drills right here, that's all we would do for like hours, and all you're doing is practicing how you're going to put the pole into the ground, and I remember thinking during those times, like, it's like the worst two years of my life, right, like I'm doing all this, and I'm not even good at it, and I just continue uh, to do these pointless drills, um, but at the time, it was really hard to obey the coach, right? Because there's no joy in doing that. I wanted joy in flying through the air, not just holding a PVC pipe in the snow, you know, waiting for something cool to happen, right? But it's like, if we could just understand, I think, what God is doing, it would bring much more joy. But it's like that. Uh, Psalm 119, you read the whole chapter. It's the longest chapter in your Bible. It paints a beautiful picture of joy in God's commandments. But I just want to read a little snippet starting in verse 33. Uh, And just listen to the the language of this, okay? It says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts, and your righteousness give me life. That language is intense. It's like a love song to God's word, okay? It is some strong language in there. He's longing. He knows it's good. He desires it. He prays desperately, God, turn my eyes from worthless things. Let me behold your precepts, right? There's a desire and joy when you are a child of God to obey his commands. There's a desire there. But if you don't have joy, it's going to be a burden. Another thing might be um, they're just too hard, right? I think for some of us, maybe we feel the weight that we can't be perfectly obedient and that really frustrates us, that really condemns us, right? They might be a burden because they're impossible, It's impossible to keep all the commands of God all the time. And so you feel this crushing weight of, there's no way, right? There's no way I can be obedient. There's no way I can do that. And that makes them a burden. It makes them tough. 
And I would say, hey, you're on to something. There is absolutely no way you could do that. It's impossible because you are dead without him. So this humbles us uh, in such a way that can be really condemning sometimes and, and maybe weighty. So you ask the opposite question. Okay, well, well, how can we make his commandments not a burden? How are they not a burden to us? If we're, they're supposed to be that way, but they feel burdensome, how could they not be a burden? And I just want to walk through a few more things. Um, the first thing is that we trust our Father who commands us. And you get the opposite here, okay? Um, instead of not trusting him, you trust him. I don't know why God does most things. I'm not supposed to know why God does most things, but I trust him. I don't know why there's certain commandments that I'm supposed to obey that I don't really want to obey, but I trust the giver of the commands. If you don't trust your father who gives you the commands, they will always be a burden. See, there's a difference between trusting a principle and trusting a person, right? There's a difference there. And we may understand the principles of what the scriptures call us to do, but if you don't trust the person giving them, there's no way. There's no way you'll be obedient. There's no way it won't be a burden. But if you do, right, if you believe God the Father loves me, he loves me, he cares about me, and he has made a way that I might be free in him and have obedience, that's a different kind of obedience. That's a different kind of heart. That's a different kind of love, right, as a child of God for the Father who gives the commands. And that's a big deal. Another thing might be that we've been given new desires that align with his commands. So the Bible calls you a new creature. It says once you were dead in sin, absolutely hopeless, absolutely bound for hell, but in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, right? You are a new creature. God is implanting in you new desires. Not desires for the fleeting pleasures of sin that you've had before, but brand new desires for him. What you used to treasure is so different now than what you actually treasure. Your eyes have been opened to the emptiness of what this world offers. The comfort, the stuff, the joy, you name it. Uh, there's just something that happens where, where your worldview is flipped and you now have new desires that align with God's desires. And when, when you're walking in that, there's, there's a, a freedom, there's a lightness to the commandments of, of Christ. Another reason might be that they just bring you absolute, deep, and authentic joy, as we read in Romans 1.19, right? Like, it's just your delight to do it, right? And that, like I said, the earlier analogy with, like, our children, right? Like, we want that as parents. We want our children to want to listen, right? And when there's joy, commandments are light. When there's true joy in them, and there is for the believer. And lastly, and I think probably the most uh, important to listen to this, Christ's commandments are not a burden because we trust in Jesus' perfect obedience to God's commands on our behalf. We trust in Jesus Christ's perfect obedience to God's commands on our behalf. This is the single and most important thing that would make this true for you. Is that Jesus Christ, though God, made himself a man. Humbly made himself a man. And as we remind you each and every week, he was perfectly obedient to every little dot of God's law. There was no disobedience in Christ at all. Perfect obedience. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come 
to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. I came to complete it, right? And he did on our behalf. Jesus, perfect obedience. And then on top of that, he takes his obedience, he takes his merit before the Father, and he exchanges that with you. And what do you have to offer, right? Rebellious disobedience, condemnation, unworthiness, right? And Christ exchanges that for you. He gives that in place of what you had. And when we behold the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ on our behalf and we realize that's ours, that's ours. We are perfect in Christ because of his spotless blood, his perfect obedience, and now the Father sees us as perfectly obedient. That is why God's commands are light. That is why God's commands are joyful. That is why we desire to obey our loving Father. Look at me, if, if, if you get the cart before the horse on this one, your life is going to be miserable. <laughs> you could say you're a Christian all day long, but your life is going to be miserable. If you're obeying in some vague hope that God's gonna see that and respect that and love you because of that, you are lost. But if you are obeying from a heart that knows that you are unworthy, but knows even more so that Christ is worthy and he gives you that worthiness. Gosh, obedience is so much different. The Christian life is so much different. It is otherworldly, as you might say. So we trust in, in Christ that way. The, the, the third thing is found in verse four and five. I just wanna read it through together here. We're, we're kind of coming to a conclusion. It says this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The third thing about obedience is obedience is, is rooted uh, in world-conquering faith. Um, world-conquering sounds pretty extreme, like we're about to go into a superhero movie, but I just want to explain that, okay? so uh, But obedience is the fruit, right, of a root that is our faith that conquers and overcomes the world. That's how it works. If, if obedience is the root, then we're in trouble, right? It's just the fruit of what's, what's really gone on underneath. And so the root of obedience is faith in Christ. So let's look, um, well, a few things. So one question is, what are we overcoming? It says we overcome the world. John, in chapter two of the same book, we've already preached over it, but he defines the world in, in three ways. He says it's the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's how he defines the world. And so my definition would simply be it's sin, right? It's sin. It's the flesh. It's Satan. It's all of these things that are contrary uh, to God and his will. And it says we, we overcome them by our faith. And so overcoming implies this battle going on right now against the, the world. Like Paul talked about, remember in Romans 7, he said, there's this war happening inside me, right? For the desires of the world, and the desires for Christ. And, and it says, it gives us this promise that we overcome the world by our faith in Christ. So, basically what happens to us and what makes the Christian different than someone who's just kind of doing things for religious purposes to feel good about themselves is our eyes are open to the emptiness of what this world has to offer, right? Right? And then our eyes are also opened 
to the treasuring of Christ above all other things and, and how much that, that means to us, right? So that's the, the, the exchange that happens here is that our eyes are open to the worthlessness of the world. C.S. Lewis explained it like this. I always quote Narnia because it's, I'm reading through my kids. It's always in my mind. But in the second book, the most famous one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the lion who represents Christ is sacrificed, uh, he has this quote in there, and it's kind of written on the, the stone table in which he was killed. And it basically says that uh, Aslan took a, uh, basically broke the enchantment of the witch's dark magic with an even deeper magic. I love that. So basically it's like there's this enchantment on us, right, that we just love the things of the world, right? We love our sinful desires. We love those kind of things. And what happens is God breaks through that enchantment and by his quote-unquote deeper magic, right, our eyes are open to see what true value is, what true treasuring is, what true joy is in Christ. And that's how we overcome the world, our faith in Christ. Uh, verse 1 and verse 5 say this, say, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And then verse 5 says, who is it that overcomes the world except the, the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so there's this, this happening with our, our uh, faith that we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Son of God, and this, this change happens inside of us. Uh, and so our faith is in Jesus Christ, that he is both uh, the Messiah, our Savior, fully man, uh, that he is also the Son of God. He is God, he has rescued us, and he has changed us. So one more quote on this too that I think is really good, and I kind of want to wrap a few things up here because we're out of time, but uh, this was from uh, Charles Spurgeon, and this is a cool analogy. He says this, he said, God grant if we must have two eyes, that they may be both clear ones. One, the eye of faith, wholly fixed on Christ, and the other, the eye of obedience, equally and wholly fixed on the same objective. And so he says, in this analogy of our eyes, he says, may we always have uh, faith in Christ and what he's done for us, coupled with our obedience, which is based on that very same thing, right, that, that Christ has done it for us. And, and so my, my heart this morning for us, and I don't know where you're at. I mean, I don't know where you're at. I mean, some of us may be under this just like, this burden, right? This pressure that we cannot obey the law and that we are guilty. And that's a good pressure because God puts us there for a very specific purpose, right? Uh, but you may be feeling this condemnation, this weight of your lack of obedience, your lack of trusting in God, your lack of you fill in the blank, whatever it may be. Some of us may be feeling just like, man, you know, my purest joy right now is obeying Christ and his commands, and that's a good place to be too. But my prayer is that we would know that uh, Jesus, he wants us to be happy. He does. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to be joyful in him. He wants obedience to flow out of us with a childlike joy that is pure and that is holy. And I don't care what the world thinks, God's commandments are not a burden. God's commandments are not bad for you. God's commandments are designed for your safety. They're designed for your joy. They're designed because he is compassionate and loving. We should be confident in the commands of God. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what your family says, what your friends say, what Facebook says. We should be joyfully happy in the commands of God, unashamed, because they are our life, our joy in him.
Therefore, we walk in obedience, not because we're earning something because we could do it, but because it's been earned for us and we love the God who earned it for us and we want to obey him. And so if you wouldn't mind standing with me, I want to read something in closing. Um, I want to remember these words together. I also pray as we read Christ's words that you, uh, you hear his call to come to him and what he offers to you today. And only God can do that. Only he can speak that to us. And so we just ask the Holy Spirit right now to, to help us to see with eyes of faith. You guys can follow along with me here. It's what it says. Here's the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for those words, those kind words you give us to come to you. And God, we know that offer stands right now to us. Whether we've always been disobedient or we're just struggling with disobedience or whatever it may be, Jesus, you offer to come to you. Your burden is light. It's not heavy. It's light, not because your commandments aren't difficult and they're not against our fleshly desires, but because there's true joy in them. There's true joy, there's true love, there's true compassion. We were made to follow those commands and to glorify you in those commands. And when we do it, God, there's there's so much joy. And God, I hate the semi-awkward Christian mentality that we have that just feels like we gotta do good in order to earn favor with you. We gotta do good in order to be loved. God, we know that's from Satan so that he could condemn us in our inability to do it. But God, that's not from you. You call us to a light burden. You call us to joyful commands. You call us to life eternal in you if we would but trust you and walk in obedience. And so God, I pray for faith. I pray for joy in your commands. I pray you would renew in us that childlike joy and uh, trust that probably many of us are lacking right now in our lives. And God, at the end of the day, would we hear your promise that you are for us, you're not against us. You want us to be truly happy and joyful and you offer the means for that today free of charge simply because you're loving. And so God, would you, by the power of your spirit, help us to believe and walk in these truths, we pray. And it's in Christ's mighty name we pray. Amen.